Do not let the behavior of others destroy your inner peace. Those are the words of the current 14th Dalai Lama. And having been to Tibet and witnessing the degrading and historically homicidal behaviors others have unleashed on his people, those are remarkable words. To develop an inner discipline that is strong enough to overcome great injustices, to develop a positive outlook and a sense of satisfaction when things are not going well, is a trait I strive for. You are listening to the Hospital Medicine Podcast with your host, Dr. Gil Parat. In the hospital, we often have to deal with angry physicians and co-workers, plenty of angry patients, and our own anger. My experience as a physician, as a patient, as a medical director, and now as a chief medical officer have obligated me to explore the topic so that I can help manage anger while attempting to avoid adding more fuel to the fire. Albert Einstein said, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. It seems the inability to deal with frustrations from external events correlates directly with lacking inner happiness. Stub your toe on a bad day when you are fatigued and cranky, your feelings of vulnerability increase and worsening anger results. If you can't turn those feelings around, the next person across your path may be seen by you as hostile and an eruption of emotion might occur. If, however, you stub your toe a few minutes after receiving a raise and kudos from your boss while you are trying to get ready to go out to dinner for an exciting date, you may be annoyed at the pain, but the event will quickly fade into the background as you focus on better things. The ability to return to that happy state of mind is dependent on the underlying mood you were in. If we can possess the inner quality of contentment on days things are not going well, we can also manage our anger. Of course, transforming our outlook is no easy task. Perhaps an early step in thought transformation is realizing our brains have plasticity. We can rewire our thinking. Another step is trying to gain self-awareness. Awareness when anger is present, but also recognizing that it is harming your health. If we look at anger as an affliction, something that can really adversely affect hormones and blood pressure, among other physiologic mechanisms, then we may be more prone to wanting to treat it, both for an angry patient's health or, if you are the angry one, heal thyself. So, it may seem strange at first to discuss this topic in a podcast about hospital medicine, but as a disease and as a skill set, Managing anger is indeed an entity every hospital-based physician will encounter. Luckily, there are treatments. First, let's try and identify some traits of angry people beyond the obvious outbursts. More subtle traits could include the person who always needs to assign blame to a person or an entity for every bad thing that happens. Or maybe there's overgeneralizing as another sign. The doctor who states that the hospital always does this or never does that. The patient who dislikes every caregiver they encounter. There is a line in a song I love called St. Stephen by the Grateful Dead that says, What a lot of fleeting matters you have spurned. We all know people who make mountains out of molehills. We've all probably done it ourselves more than once, but you don't want to make a habit of it. Then, there are also the people that attempt to live in an idealized world where nobody has faults. 
They become upset when reality gets in the way. A core competency of life is learning how to navigate a world filled with constant obstacles. Jerry Seinfeld was on Howard Stern's show the other day, and they were discussing how hard it is to be funny all the time. And Seinfeld told Howard something I found interesting. He said, "The blessing in life is finding the torture you are comfortable with." It was the 2.0 version of the Dalai Lama's teaching of transforming our attitude towards suffering. Perceptions can result in dissatisfaction, and those sensations we often have of feeling overwhelmed can cause anger. Seinfeld may feel overwhelmed at times with his always having to be on, always having to be funny, but he has transformed his perspective on that pressure into a positive thing. Speaking of perspectives and looking back, almost always with embarrassment at my own angry outbursts. I have learned that the fears within us are often bigger than the actual threat, and therefore we can have a tendency to act like cowards and attempt to safeguard something that really didn't need that much protection to begin with. It reminds me of a great Ambrose Bierce quote, where he said, "Speak when you are angry, and you will make the best speech you will ever regret." Most of us have had those experiences. And they can be cringe-worthy stains we can't erase from our memories, but we are probably best served by remembering them. Because I am an admitted work in progress, that is why I often try not to judge somebody based on their worst moment, particularly if they have remorse for what they did. Yes, I know some worst moments are unforgivable, like a mass shooting or a myriad of extreme examples we can agree on. But most of our human bad moments are forgivable. But most of the guilt that we carry, the regrets we have about our episodes of uncontrolled anger, is that we know in our hearts we could have acted better. Needless to say, anger management is an extremely important skill each one of us should have for our own selves and also for dealing with others, particularly if you are involved in the healthcare field. Impulse control is a learned skill that comes to some of us later than others. One of my own hypotheses is that doctors are usually their own boss, and they therefore are prone to displaying more emotion with less fear of consequences. Lack of sleep, a common issue for those taking call, also worsens mood and our ability to communicate without agitation. Like other humans, there are some doctors and patients. And others who have a personality trait of greed. No matter what they get, greedy folks always desire more. That lack of fulfillment is an unhappy state of mind in which one lacks a sense of self-worth, and the consequences can be hurtful to the person and to the people who have to deal with a greedy person. To appreciate what you have must be a conscious effort. If immediate gratification through attaining material items is what drives you, then you are more likely to feel negatively when the opposite occurs. I have seen doctors become visibly angry when a contract only has 90% of what they desired. Similarly, and I speak from my own experience, I've seen physicians get everything they want in a contract—a good salary and exclusivity on a service line. Only to become unhappy while trying to fulfill the obligation they made.
For a while, I have thought it was my subjective opinion that some private practice medical groups are happy as a group or depressed and cynical as a group. Now, there's starting to be some objective data showing that moods actually are contagious. There is a journal called Clinical Psychological Science, and there was a paper published in the April 16, 2013 issue titled, Cognitive Vulnerability to Depression Can Be Contagious. The researchers from Notre Dame showed that if you are assigned a depressed roommate in college, it puts you at risk for depressive symptoms. The good news is that if you are a happy person, you can pass that on to those around you as well. The point being, if you as a group of doctors sit around complaining about how a competing group is damaging you, or the hospital is taking advantage of you, or some politician is ruining your life, those around you may be at risk for thinking those negative thoughts. I'm not arguing that you shouldn't address challenges as a group, but dwelling in the negative is never a good thing. If you instead focused on what a blessing it is to be a healer, or having an income most humans can't imagine, or how much you like the people in your group, I suspect that type of positive thinking may rub off on those around you. There are times anger may be a survival skill. The fight part of the flight or fight response is intertwined with anger. And therefore, in rare situations, anger can save us. But biology also teaches us that the most adaptable organisms are the most likely to survive. War may be a necessary evil at times, but it is still an evil. If tolerance and forgiveness will work in a situation, it can save us and others from getting hurt in a fight. That is not to say anger completely resolves when we make a conscious decision to engage in tolerance and forgiveness, so many of us need to find an outlet for that anger that we just can't get rid of. Adapting to using anger only when it can be helpful, such as in defense, or using it to your benefit, such as on the football field or the weight room, seems like a reasonable goal. It does you no good in the workplace or at home. Channeling anger into exercise or using it as a motivation to join a social movement for change that this world desperately needs in positive ways is a good way to utilize that emotion. The following are some tips I find helpful in dealing with anger. First, realize that moments of anger are just that, moments. Moods are temporary. Commit yourself to finding a path through it. Realize that your reactions in that temporary moment won't be reasonable or constructive. That your assigning of blame is about to self-create more suffering. Remember that you actually do have a choice in how you respond to a situation. You don't always have to let a bad environment manage you. The second tip is about sleep. Unfortunately, for hospital administrators, almost everything written about anger management explains that a tired mind is prone to anger. Doctors and patients don't have the opportunity to sleep as much as needed. And therefore, 
we will be prone to oversensitivity and that risk factor is not going to go away. Remember that anger is a coping mechanism, but a lot of coping mechanisms like alcohol or self-mutilation are harmful. So seek a healthier coping mechanism that won't hurt you and coworkers when you are tired. If fatigue becomes combined with arrogance, that can be particularly something that fuels the fire. Anger is not external. It is within us. And it is a response of having frustration with our environment. Saying that you need to get rest and exercise is easier said than done, but it is critical if you have an anger problem. Third tip, reconditioning the mind to respond consciously instead of resorting to reaction patterns based on the urge to retaliate and provoke is an important part of maturity. A pause in the action to reflect on your feelings of vulnerability is necessary. Take a moment to recognize that when angry, you are often feeling like you need to show your importance, but realize an eruption of emotion will ultimately not improve those feelings. Try shifting perspective. Try changing your environment for a few minutes. Walk around the block to get out of the environment that is upsetting you. Much of how we behave is a result both of upbringing and also the influences of those around us. Sometimes we need to get away for a few minutes from the negativity around us. Fourth tip, when a patient or coworker is angry with you, active listening and trying to keep calm is always better than getting defensive and upset. If it is appropriate to do so, apologize. Never start blaming someone else for a mistake. Explain the motive for what was done, and if the person is calm enough to listen, try to clear up misconceptions by sticking to the facts. However, if explanations are only fanning the flames, you may have to wait for another time to explain yourself. Remember that quote from Dr. Martin Luther King where he said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Model the behavior you want to see in others and share that positivity. Show empathy. Those displaying aggression often feel that somebody has to win. Being okay with losing and ignoring rudeness is not always a bad trait in unstable situations that are not based in rational thought. De-escalation is the goal. Fifth tip, don't feel peer pressure to agree with negative emotions. Amplifying aggression is easy to do. If you pile onto a griping session, it destroys your effectiveness as a clinician and as a leader. It feels good to gripe. Emotions are contagious, and joining the mob is the path of least resistance. Acknowledge you've heard an upset person. Then try to change the tone. Kindness and tolerance towards someone acting uncivil does not indicate that you bend over when faced with aggression. It means you have maturity and manners. Sixth tip. Model calmness instead of telling somebody to calm down. Seventh tip, this comes from the Texas Medical Association, 
where they give tips on dealing with angry patients on their website. And they say, agree in principle. Rather than argue over an issue, use this technique to acknowledge the patient's point of view is possible and then present what you are willing or able to do. I can understand how you might see it that way. This technique not only shows empathy for the patient, but also validates your understanding of the complaint. And for the eighth tip, I will also quote the Texas Medical Association website in a technique they call broken record. This technique is most effective with patients who keep trying to get you to do something their way. Your response is to stay firm. Use a calm tone of voice and repeat over and over what you are willing or able to do. Don't waste time coming up with new excuses or reasons why. This just engages the patient in an argument and suggests that the policy can be changed. Simply repeat your position politely and calmly. This technique is particularly effective with patients using abusive language, whether in person or on the telephone. Ninth tip. If you feel that your lack of happiness rests on eliminating one cause, you may be biased in what is really making you upset. Blaming your problems completely on others rarely solves problems. Try to put things in perspective. Tenth tip, let it go. Letting go of your anger does not let the person you are mad at off the hook. It lets you off the hook. Why suffer? headaches, insomnia, inability to concentrate, and other symptoms. Let it go for yourself. Eleventh tip. I think the advice of one of our founding fathers is wise, who said, When angry, count to ten before you speak. If very angry, count to one hundred. Thomas Jefferson, like the Dalai Lama, realized anger makes us temporarily insane a state in which we cannot determine right from wrong. It can destroy you and your relationships. It is the opposite of patience and tolerance. Twelfth tip. I don't think any set of tips would be complete without recommending professional anger management counseling for those open-minded enough to accept it. Thirteenth tip. Commit to understanding that stress does not excuse anger. And don't always make excuses for your anger. Almost every angry doc I have had to discipline as a chief medical officer explains that the etiology of their anger was this concern about patient care. St. Francis de Sales said, There was never an angry man that thought his anger unjust. Even when an actual injustice does happen to you, or even if the issue truly is about concern for patient care, it is important to learn how to resolve conflict without anger consuming you every time. This problem has plagued humanity for a long time, and about 2,000 years ago, the Roman historian Sallust said, He that will be angry for anything will be angry for nothing. So far, I can say that I have not seen an example where anger has helped patient care, but I have witnessed several times where it has harmed care. You have been listening to the Hospital Medicine Podcast.
May you go on to have a tolerant and fruitful day.